Hey, everybody, welcome back to Crafted on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today on Crafted, we are talking about painting, but not the kind of painting that takes place on an easel and that you go to a fancy art gallery to see. We're talking about interior and exterior painting of homes and buildings. And if you just heard that and you thought, well, what's interesting about that? Well, the goal of this conversation is in fact to show you how interesting this craft is. And our guide in this conversation happens to be one of my absolute favorite people in the world, Rob Dickinson. Rob is the owner of Precise Painting here in Crested Butte, and what Rob and his wife Sydney and the rest of the Precise team have done is earned a reputation for doing extremely high-level work in a high-altitude mountain environment that is extremely demanding on things like exteriors in particular. So in this conversation, in addition to introducing you to one of my favorite people in the world, Rob and I are going to talk about the craft and the trade of painting in demanding environments. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that you might want to keep in mind if you are thinking of building or buying or just trying to maintain a home in a mountain town. We're going to talk about what I personally think is one of the most interesting things about this trade, which is that it truly is an area where the blue-collar world meets the fine arts. And I think you will be convinced of this by the end of the conversation. Furthermore, we're going to be talking about carrying on a family business, and you're going to hear Rob talk about what he learned from his father, We're going to be talking about aesthetics versus price versus durability. And you're going to hear Rob talk about how you often get to pick two of those three things. And finally, you're going to get to hear talk about what it means to employ a number of people in a mountain town like Crested Butte and why that means so much to him. This episode of Crafted is presented by our Blister Craft Collective, and we will include a link to the show notes of this episode where you can check out all the companies in our Blister Craft Collective, and we will also include a link to our open mic series presented by the Blister Craft Collective, where you can this week find a new piece that we just put up yesterday, another one by Angel Collinson, called On Death, Life, and Love, and it is another fantastic piece by Angel that discusses some of the biggest topics in the world. So check out our Blister Craft Collective on our website, check out Angel's new piece, and now let's talk painting with one of my very good friends and favorite people, Rob Dickinson, owner of Precise Painting. Here we go. All right. The day has finally arrived. I was thinking about this actually like all this past week that if listeners of various Blister podcasts who know you knew that I took this long to finally do a podcast with Rob Dickinson, this is what people should be the most mad at me about of anything we've ever done at Blister is that this didn't happen like seven years ago. So, and those of you who don't know Rob Dickinson, I think you're going to get a sense of why I'm saying that. And I think, Rob, what we need to do is first, along these lines, while I'm making, you know, confessions and asking for forgiveness, we have been talking for a while of starting a series called Skiers Talking Shit. And the fact that this hasn't happened yet, it's really like among the worst things I've ever done in my life. I think you need a sixth podcast for (laughs) sure. And I think that Skiers Talking Shit probably is that podcast. 
you know, I've been so excited that we were going to do this that I've been thinking again. I have thoughts on this. We'll we'll discuss them maybe after this, but I, I have some new ideas for how to finally, finally bring the world skiers talking shit starring <laughs> Rob Tickinson. I'm going to need some help on that for sure. I got a, I got a few names I can bring into the fold. I'm sure. Yeah, it'll be fueled by IPAs. And uh, that's really, yeah, that's really it. As we are. As we are right now. Speaking of which, shout out, you're on your second New Image Brewing fanny pack. You've also not eaten that much food today and then rode 401. I'm really curious to see if like really fun Rob, you know, breaks out in the next, say, like 20 minutes maybe? This could degrade, yeah. It depends on how your skills really come out. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll do our best here. Anyway, people have you've come up a lot on various blister podcasts. I've I've name dropped you a lot. We go back a ways. I've been looking forward to this day. That's why I feel so bad that it hasn't happened yet. And then interestingly, rather than having you on where we're talking about skiing and hearing you just, you know, flame all kinds of gear, you know, on skiers talking shit, we launched this crafted podcast and turns out we're going to talk about your profession since you happen to be really good at what you do. And uh, so anyway, this is not exactly how what I thought our first podcast was would be, but I think this is going to be a really interesting one. So please don't let me down. I'll try. <laughs> um, hard to talk about painting in a room full of new awesome skis, but uh, strap in guys. We're going we're gonna to handle painting today. We are going to be talking about painting. And if you wonder how that's going to be interesting, we'll like, just sit tight, hang in there with us. Cause I, um, I think this is interesting in a lot of grounds and now onus is on us to prove that. So first question, when did you start your company precise painting? So I grew up the son of a painting contractor in upstate New York, Southern Adirondacks. Um, and it was kind of this thing that I was kind of a trade. I was always running from, I would say, um, something I could always fall back on that. I kind of didn't know I was falling in love with until I was in Colorado working winter jobs in the ski industry, tuning skis at Christie Sports and uh, doing some like uh, tech repping at events for ski brands. And uh, you get laid off in the summer. There's no work for a ski industry seasonal worker. And uh, I was thinking to myself, shit, I, I'm going to go out and apply for another nine, $10 an hour job. I have a trade. I know how to do something that can command more pay. And I put an ad in Craigslist in Denver, which brought me on a lot of uh, adventures, I would say. <laughs> um, what, what was the ad? Was it for just a one man band? I'll paint your house. Yeah. I'll paint your house. And, and it was uh, this earnest kind of almost begging for people's work kind of thing. Like, I know what I'm doing. I, grew up the son of a painting contractor. Like I kind of introduced myself and, uh, you know, please hire me to paint your living room, which you really don't need whatever I'm making myself out to be. But, uh, here I am and, uh, and it worked. I, uh, I, I got work and, uh, and I got kind of passed around Denver and, and, uh, by word of mouth. And I quickly kind of let that Craigslist ad fizzle out and, uh, I was making a living. And when I had gaps in my schedule. I'd go downhill mountain biking at Keystone. I'd go skiing up at Loveland. I'd go skiing at a base and skiing at Berthoud Pass. And then when I got pounded with work, I'd whoever I might've been skiing with last, I said, I would say to the, you know, whoever I was hanging out with, Hey, you, you want some work next week? I'll pay you pretty well, a little cash under the table. And, uh, we'd go paint somebody's living room in Denver and it'd take us a week. And then we'd kind of live off the grand spoils of that <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and ski it all away. And, uh, and then I'd look for some more work again. So in those early days, starting with the classified ad, were you already under the moniker of precise painting? Yes. I, uh, funny you should ask that kind of jogs a memory. Um, I told my dad, my kind of mentor in this whole trade, obviously, um, I was going to start a faux finishing business. That was a hot thing in, it was like 05, 04. And everyone wanted this like Tuscan style, which probably couldn't be like further from what's cool nowadays. 
but everybody wanted this faux finishing, these kind of glaze finishes. And I was like, dad, I'm going to start a faux finishing company. And he was like, ah, you need to start a painting company. Like the, you're, you're going to, you're not going to get any work at that. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not sure if he was right or not, but he convinced me at the time. And he told me just start a painting company and paint people's houses. That's, that's a, that is a service that people are always going to need and shit, you already got a name for it. I remember that, which was kind of his blessing to say like, you can use my name, hmm. which was kind of him being that I moved across the country and kind of, uh, I don't want to say deserted the family business, but it could certainly be interpreted as so. Yeah. So backing up even further for a minute. So you kind of left out the part maybe where you were working for your dad's business. When did you start doing that? Were you doing a ton of that? No, I did a lot of that. I, um, I think I asked my dad for a mountain bike, a GT Karakorum back in 1992. It was like a $700 bike, which was exorbitant at the time. Just a ridiculous amount of money to pay for a bicycle. And uh, he said, well, there's no way I'm going to buy you that. But the fence out back needs staining, which was a memorable, miserable experience in my life being 12 years old (laughs) and just covered in oil stain and just like, just that, that's the kind of monotony like that a 12 year old really can't be like asked to subscribe to. And I did that and earned five bucks an hour and made enough money. I'm sure he probably kicked in a little bit. I'm sure he probably kicked in more than a little bit, but gave me the benefit of the doubt and got me the bike. And maybe some of it was of my own doing. And, and some of it was him being like, all right, you work for it. Here's your, here's your damn bike. Um, so. That was probably how I got my start with painting. Later on, I, my grandfather, who worked in a paper mill in Glens Falls, New York, he retired and took a job delivering paint to my dad's company's job sites. And I rode around with him, and, um, which was a super cool time in my life to just connect with my grandfather while I had him. And, uh, and we delivered paint. We mixed paint. They had an in-house paint store. and. Uh, we just supplied all the jobs and kind of saw the logistics side of things. And then as I got into high school and got into my grandfather, eventually fully retired, um, got into high school and I started to actually participate in the actual application of paint or the preparation for the application of paint. To be fair, a lot of nail hole filling, a lot of sanding, a lot of vacuuming, a lot of these things that are not actually painting, which is really what we do. And we were lucky that we have these two really high-end markets in upstate New York of the Lake George area and the Saratoga Springs area. Um, Just great vacation areas, a lot of people building really, really beautiful homes that demand a certain level of quality that we had the opportunity to deliver on. Um, So I got to learn this kind of beyond just slapping a coat of paint on it. We got to learn this step-by-step to the rules of the trade to produce this beautiful finish. And that's kind of where I got my start and feel super lucky for that. Feel super lucky to those clients and that my dad was interested in that. So I kind of did that summers through high school and then kind of summers through college. And then I spent a couple of years, uh, I think a year and a half after I graduated college, I just worked for my dad and I just wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. And he had a good paying job there. And I liked it by then. I was like starting to be kind of a grown up. And I had kind of steadied my hand to really kind of subscribe to this method that they kind of worked worked according to. And I started to actually learn this trade. And by the time I left, I moved to Colorado, first to Boulder. Actually, I first moved to Steamboat, but quickly was back in New York, had to finish school. I moved to the Front Range, and uh, I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not even sure I knew it, but I had learned pretty well how to paint houses. And I was pretty hell-bent. I had a marketing and management degree, and I was a hardcore skier, all in on that. I wanted to work in the ski industry. I probably envisioned myself as being a rep. And uh, that seemed like a cool life, and that seemed like something that I wanted to do. I still think that seems like a cool life. It seems like there's something I might want to do, but I'll have to get another lifetime for that. Yeah. But I was working tuning skis in Christie Sports in Boulder 
And uh, I got like a little bit of like part-time tech rep work for Solomon, I think it was. And, you know, none of those people are looking for you in the summer. So you got to, you got to get another job. I was not great at waiting tables and I didn't really want to work at a bike shop. I just, I was like, man, I'm going to sign up for another $10 an hour job. This was in 2004, 2005. I thought to myself, man, I can, I can paint houses. Before we continue on the paint talk, let's talk a little bit about your skiing stuff. So you just said when you moved out to Colorado, there were thoughts about maybe I'll be a ski rep or something like that. Was that the primary reason for moving out West or were you like, I want to be entering big mountain comps? I, I, I had no thoughts of what I was going to do in my life career wise at all. I just wanted to ski. I knew that I, I was happy when I was skiing and I felt like I had some sort of ability at it that I cared to show the world. And I wanted to do that. I, I had probably something to prove that probably never fully proved in, or maybe I proved it as much as I ever was going to, but, (laughs) but, uh, it was like, that was my thing. I just, I just wanted to ski. I was really driven at that. I wanted to kind of sharpen that point. I, I wanted to become the best skier that I could be. It was, it was, I'm still like obsessed with that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Whether I, whether anyone gives a shit or not, I'm going to figure out how to be the best skier that I can figure out how to be. And the, the roots of this, I mean, you, you grew up in New York and ski racing was your background, right? Yeah. I was a low level, like high school and USSA level ski racer. I don't think I really had the focus to like truly excel at that at the time, but, um, I was way into it, way into it. I loved it. It's so funny because when we met, I think you and I actually met, you were in Taos at a free ride comp down there. So I always sort of thought of you, you know, as the free ride guy. But once again, as is the case with many good big mountain skiers, ski racing was actually the roots. I definitely gleaned enough from ski racing to kind of serve my future endeavors at skiing. I think I have like a fairly strong, like technical foundation. Yes. Like a lot of ex ski racers do, but I, I was not some sort of amazing ski racer. You saved it to be the amazing big mountain skier. And that, that's like, that's your signature for people. And now you're going to get all embarrassed or whatever, but like people who know Rob, they will agree with this. That's like your kind of signature thing is like the more techie and technical the situation that's where Rob is probably more and more in his element. I'm a chopper. <laughs> <laughs> AKA I'm a chopper. I think that's where, and I mean, it is, it is pretty fun. Like when, you know, certain professional skiers roll through or whatever, and you know, they're making a living doing this, but they're like, damn, that guy can ski. And it, this is a, this, just, just take the compliment right now. You don't have to say anything. I can take a compliment. Okay. okay it's good. But uh, that's, one of the things we see, and I mean, it is a kind of thing like people in the Gunnison Valley. Yeah. Rob, Rob is real good at skiing terrain like Crested Butte and Taos. Um, so the steeper, the tech and more technical, I mean, you can ski easy stuff good too, but that's probably where like the steeper and more technical it is. It seems like Rob is, will start distancing himself more and more from the rest of, you know, us mere mortals. Thank you, Jonathan. That's nice of you to say. (laughs) And so I love this story too, that, and this is one of the things I really appreciate. I mean, like, so you are that guy, you know, whether it's a day where I happen to catch you out on the mountain or I get the, you know, the 1 PM phone call on a Friday and you're like, dude, can you like sneak out? I'll meet you at like 145, you know, and let's go get a couple hours in. But to be running the business that you are and still skiing at a high level and just still loving it so much is one of the things I think is just really compelling because we often hear, right? People that are running a successful business, it's like, oh, I wish I could ski more or get out there. And it's like, you manage to do both. Like you get your mountain time. It's hard not to become consumed by it for sure. And that pull is always there. As, as a business owner, you draw your own boundaries. I watched that as a kid. Um, my dad would work all day starting at six in the morning, come home at five for family dinner, hard and fast. 
family dinner. He'd take a 15 minute nap on the couch and then he'd go back to the office to do office work, estimates, et cetera, until 1130 at night, get back up, repeat every day. And I was just thinking to myself, holy shit, that's one heroic, amazing. And that's, I mean, he did that and I appreciate it so much, but I was like, there's no fucking way I'm going to live my life like that. And shout out to my dad for showing me that, like, again, heroic, amazing effort and ineffective. It, I mean, it worked. We lived a comfortable life and I got the ski race. Amazing. I, I like had the privilege to be able to know that I want to move to a place like Crested Butte, Colorado. But, uh, but I was like, man, there's, there's no way I'm going to do that. No way. That was just like too much. So to me, I, I drew that boundary. Like we're done at five o'clock, man. Like, and, and on Fridays, you know what? Like we live in a ski town we could, everyone that works for Precise Painting could probably be making more money somewhere else that doesn't have a chairlift. Mm-hmm. We're going to cut out at noon and we're, we're going skiing, man. Like, or we're going to go do like the thing that, that drew us here because people didn't move here to work in marketing, yeah. you know, like they didn't move here to maximize their earnings potential. Yeah. They moved here to, to have a great life in the mountains and have these amazing experiences. So that's been a real foundational point in precise paintings kind of corporate culture is like, man, we work hard. We are very serious about what we do. We pay the utmost attention to delivering a quality product, but it's really also very important that we don't waste our time here and don't waste the reason that we came here. All right. Now we need an honesty check. Fridays. I know the rule at precise try to be re- try to be wrapped up by noon on a friday are you seriously done at five monday through thursday depends on when you ask if i can pull a two o'clock sneak then uh then yeah i'm gonna call my boy jonathan and see if we can't get on the silver queen <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean you know work comes first for sure um we're, we're definitely gonna make sure we deliver but uh but but if if we can get out and and have a ski at two, three o'clock, we're, we're going to do that. Yeah. And you pick the days too, to do that. You're smart about it. Asking for a friend here, you truly don't have to get into the evening work hours. I sometimes do have to get in some evening work hours. If I cut out for like a quick three o'clock power hour. Yeah. I'm probably going to pay for that with like a, you know, six to seven o'clock at night where I'm, I'm doing what I ought to have been doing during those times. Okay. Okay. Does that make you feel better? Uh, Jonathan, for the record, works well into the <laughs> two, three o'clock hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's weird. I feel like when I do like get my time on the mountain, even if I'm only out for, say, two to three hours, somehow it feels like that compounds. So it's like every hour on the mountain, add two to three hours per hour that night. I don't quite know why it goes like that, but that's actually what it feels like. It's easier to do business during business hours. Well, for you, maybe it's easier for me to do business outside of business hours because people are finally leaving me alone. Fair. Yeah. And I, I, I do see that too. So our crew typically works four nines and then like a half day on Friday. And, uh, God, that's like, that is incredibly productive time for me that like Friday where Either they're all handled and they're, they don't have any questions of me at that point. Everything's coasting or maybe they're not even working and I can really get done what, you know, a lot of the things that I've been pushing off in favor of at answering questions, putting out fires, et cetera. Well, this is why I've said multiple times, like you're kind of my spirit animal. Like I've, I've told people like I, I want to be like Rob when I grow up and some creating those boundaries uh, is something I'm still sort of working on. Well, I, and I think it's a, I think it works both ways, right? Like if you create that boundary, like I am at work, I am present at work during these hours, you're going to be more effective and then shut it down. Don't, don't let it trickle off into these hours where maybe you're 40% effective and making yourself miserable or not, you know, not having your me time as opposed to like, man, I'm, I'm done at five. I better get it done by five. To be fair, I've great people working for me that help me kind of keep that intact. And then they live by that same boundary. We're all done at five. That's just, that's just it. Go hard, get done at five. Yeah. Yeah. 
and we kind of help keep each other out of that point where it's like, all right, I, I got to pull an all nighter tonight. This is something I definitely wanted to talk to you about. We talk a lot about, you know, we did a whole series called Mountain Town Economics, right? On our Blister podcast. And this is a big deal in mountain towns, right? People trying to find jobs that pay well and that leave them with enough time to, as you've already talked about, well, you know, get on those chairlifts or get out on trails. And this is, I think, a very cool thing um, that you've built up at Precise. Uh, you've talked about, you know, that you are fortunate to have a number of good people that work with you. But talk a little bit about that aspect. How many people, I, know, I think the number fluctuates a bit across the year, but how many people are we talking about? Right now, I think we have 27 W-2 employees on the books. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'll tell you what, from my childhood and kind of early upbringing, I've definitely spent some time with like burnt out, overworked, just grumpy ass painters. And I was like, man, that is not what I'm looking to like surround myself with. And a lot of like, there's been a lot of those people were amazing. And to be fair, like I'm not blanket referencing everyone. I, every painter I worked with back in my hometown, but there was definitely a lot of people who were doing that job because maybe they had no other option. Right here in Crested Butte, we're dealing with incredibly smart, you know, gifted people. Um, this community's full of amazing people who choose to live here. And, uh, I want to work with energized people who want to be here. And I don't want to work with someone who is feeling like they put in more than they had to give this week. And I think that's a key element in the quality of product that we deliver is that people are energized when they're here. And when, when they wouldn't be, they're not. That's a huge thing as to why we deliver a good product because people are enthused when they're here. Let's talk about the good product. Another reason why I was looking forward to this conversation, you know, when I first met you and it's like, oh yeah, my friend Rob, you know, runs a painting company in Crested Butte. Painting, when that work isn't displayed in some fancy gallery with a bunch of white walls, tends to be, um, I don't know, underappreciated, overlooked. Background, right? yeah. It's background. And so if I'm, you know... You, somebody asks you, what do you do? And you say, I'm a painter or I run a painting company. That's very different than if you were painting on an easel and then you're an artist. Sure. Right? And it's really been interesting for me, actually, because I was like, yeah, I don't know. He paints houses and stuff. And the more we've talked, it's like, hang on, man. And I have come uh, through very gracious conversations with you. You've never like called me out or been like, hey, dumbass. But you've already spoken in this conversation a bit about, you know, your dad's business and part of what he was doing back in New York and what the skills you learned from that are precise painting is about trying to do things and deliver a higher quality product than just sort of the cheapest thing that somebody could get done to slap some paint on the walls or on their exterior, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a grand spectrum as to what the needs are of a painting contractor. And uh, a lot of it's like, do we need you to come in and like paint this thing at all? Like we, I fully understand that. And honestly, in my own house, that might be all I really need. But the properties that we worked on back where I'm from and the properties that are largely available here, these houses are architectural works of art and they're, and they're assembled by master carpenters and every finished trade is done by people who are really pretty high up in their respective trade. So these are more than kind of the standard middle or upper middle class homes that, that you or I might, these are real works of art. So they're, they're worthy of being finished according to age old rules of the trade. And that's, that's what we do. If, uh, if you just need it painted at all and you don't care how it comes out, we are absolutely not the firm for the job. But if you see the difference in that, if you see the difference between a well-executed paint job and just one that's done at all, 
then, you know, then we might be the, the guys you want to talk to. Yeah. So let's talk about some of these age old rules of the trade, right? Like that's one of the things I love so much about this whole crafted podcast is for experts to kind of bring in, bring us in and give us some insights into what does it even mean to bring, say, more attention to a given craft than less, right? And we've talked about, we. I was at your home for dinner and we were talking about like John Kimmich, founder of The Alchemist, like what The Alchemist is brewing is a bit different from the cheapest mass-produced beer out there where they maybe are just trying to hit a price point and, you know, God damn, I know for sure you enjoy your cheap beers. Like you are not someone to, you know, you know, put their nose up against a, a cheap beer. Love you, Coors, yeah. Yeah, like you can get down either way. But I think But that, also love a heady topper. It, there's a time and a place for either. If you have a rental property, Coors. If you have an architectural masterpiece, heady, heady topper. topper. And that is frankly one of the things that I think I personally failed to appreciate in the early days when it's like, yeah, Rob runs a painting company, right? So that's another confession of mine. But let's get into it then. When you talk about some of those, did you? how did you put it? Old rules of the trade? Yeah, traditional like time-honored rules of the trade. How do we do this according to how it's always been done, right? It's funny, a lot of people that come on with us, especially on the interior side of things, always joke like, I thought this was a job painting. This is a job sanding. It's so much sanding. Huh. But that's, that's how we get that surface refinement to get this beautiful finished grade. Uh, and typically, like when I say that, I'm referring to trim work. But it's, it's more than just slapping a coat of primer and two coats of paint on things. So fair to say, maybe one of the number one rules is the sanding work better be done well. Absolutely. Um, the application work is a very small fraction of the time spent. It's definitely a lot of filling. It's paying homage to the, the carpentry that's been done. The, the houses that we typically work on, the trim carpentry in, in specific is, is done by people who are very good at their job. So we really try to respect the work they've done thus far and bring it the rest of the way to perfection. Okay. And you know, not to talk shit on those people that you're saying they did a great job on their work. Should they have been the ones that sanded the thing well? And no. you only come in if they messed up their work or is the sanding part on the painters? No. And typically they, they do what's called dressing the board. Um, so they do actually bring that to probably a 150 grit surface refinement. But as soon as we hit it with paint, the grain raises. So we have to knock that back down. We have to fill their nail holes. That's not their job. That's ours. Um, we have to caulk the joints from a hairline gap to gone. Um, and this is in the instance of painted trim. But we, we sand that down so that when you interact with the space, with, with the surface, it's smooth to the touch. It's a perfect furniture grade finish. General question. What's trickier, interiors or exteriors? Interiors probably command a higher skill level, but exteriors, especially at altitude here, um, this is a challenging environment for exterior paint and stain finishes. Okay. So did you answer the question? I'm not sure I did. <laughs> Bringing home a, an A plus grade interior, specifically trim finish or cabinet finish or doors, et cetera, that is a a masterpiece for sure. That is a, that is a high level skill at our specific trade. Um, and that requires experience. That said here in Crested Butte, Colorado, this is probably one of the worst environments for exterior paint stain finishes that I can possibly imagine. So let's talk about that. So, and I want to do two things. One here, you talk specifically about Crested Butte, but then maybe more generally about mountain towns, kind of ski mountain towns, because um, you are not lumping them all in together. Do you actually think there's something 
unique about Crested Butte versus Tahoe or Bozeman or wherever, you know, when it comes to exteriors in mountain towns? I think it's all kind of the same problem for sure, especially in, in the Western US. But I think it's pretty, it comes, to a, it comes to a head here, probably in the Gunnison Valley because it gets so cold here. But the combination of nighttime lows and then that unmitigated sun that we get on these clear days, you might, you might wake up in the morning to 20 below zero here in the, in the Gunnison Valley. And then that's coupled with a high pressure, unmitigated, no cloud, sunny day. By two o'clock that afternoon, you might be looking at 20 degrees air temperature, but that sun's beating down on your windowsill and that surface temperature might be 90 degrees. So now you've seen a huge change in the surface temperature and then the temperature of that substrate, i.e. the wood. So that is shrunk overnight, expanded over the day. And no matter what kind of paint and coatings technology we have these days, they struggle to keep up with the expansion and contraction of the wood, of the substrate beneath. So around here, frequent maintenance is key. Maintenance is not necessarily my best thing in life in general. So um, I, I got to have you weigh in on that. Well, you're lucky uh, you have reclaimed siding. So really, you can just choose to let it patina, quote unquote. Tina, that's my word. For, um, as, for far as, you, as far as you care to, <laughs> and uh, and whenever you would like to stop that in its tracks, we can <laughs> we can put a preservative on that wood to kind of enhance the color or kind of keep it from going any worse. Uh, your painted windowsills are probably due for a little maintenance. Little They've maintenance. probably seen that contraction and an expansion that that the paint has struggled to keep up with. Gotcha. Okay. So, okay. So contraction and expansion turns out tough for paint. That's what we learned. Not great. Okay. Um, paint, any paint coatings always have a, an elongation property or rating attached to them. And I think most other environments available in say North America uh, are probably a good bit easier than they are here in the Gunnison Valley. We have tremendously extreme overnight lows. And then we have these, in regards to surface temperatures, these, these crazy highs that happen within the same 24 hours that cause that wood or whatever. It might be steel, it might be wood, it might be whatever substrate to, to contract and expand at a rate that any coatings would struggle to keep up with. So I always like talking about kind of best practices. So in mountain towns, certainly in Crested Butte, there's a ton of wood, ton of wood exteriors, right? Is that, does that make sense to you? Are you like, and I, I don't know, I don't feel prepared to weigh in on like what everybody's building or putting, using for an exterior in Stowe, Vermont or Tahoe or whatever, but is it like obvious what people should be doing or are you cool with so much wood being used on exteriors in these high altitude mountain towns? Well, there's kind of a, a spectrum where what's perfectly practical versus what's aesthetically appealing. Yeah. And that's kind of, that kind of hits like perfectly on whether you care to maybe pay more for your paint contractor or not. Um, are you building a house that is intended to be perfectly maintenance free or are you building a house that's intended to be aesthetically pleasing? Of course, there's always going to be a compromise along that spectrum, but kind of where do you find, you know, everyone could build their house here out of cinder blocks and never have to do a damn thing to it. Is that going to be a beautiful house to sit on a mountainside? No, that's probably going to be better served by reclaimed or cedar or, you know, these higher maintenance items. And that's, that's just going to be something you sign up for. And you'd see that in Stowe, Vermont. Maybe you'd see more of a uh, traditional kind of painted, stained kind of look, uh, which is something that I kind of grew up with, that kind of Northeast woodsy look, um, whereas here we're more like this um, mountain, mountain modern, reclaimed lumber kind of look. But both of these 
those might not be the most practical choice as to, you know, minimizing maintenance costs, but owning a home in the mountains probably isn't that either. (laughs) Fair. So this is kind of that interesting, I don't know, triumvirate of things. We're talking about aesthetics, price, and durability. Is this like the, when we talk about gear, it's like, what is it like cheap, light, durable, pick two? Sure. Does that translate to aesthetics, pricing, durability? Absolutely. I I mean, I probably not perfectly, but uh, certainly the saying in the trades that kind of translates to that is you can have, you can have cheap, quick, or good pick two. I suppose in regards to exterior substrate, um, yeah, you could probably have beautiful, low maintenance. I don't know. Not cheap. (laughs) Beautiful, Beautiful and low maintenance. Beautiful, low maintenance or cheap. Beautiful doesn't sound cheap. Low maintenance might be cheap if we're going cinder block. Probably not cheap up front, but cheap in the long run. You know, if you could put a stucco house up in this valley and there's, there's plenty of them around. Some of them are, are done very tastefully, but by and large, that's not the look that most folks are going for here. Yeah. I came from the land of stucco. And it fits in that, you know. We're kind of on that border of like Southwest and yeah, no, I'm, I'm good with the lack of stucco around here. I, I, had, yeah, my, that, I had my fill of stucco. I, I don't mind stucco, but I don't mind not seeing it too. Yeah. Okay. Well, in terms of wood, then you have a favorite wood for an exterior, true or false? Yeah. Depending on the application. I mean, I'm, cedar's the gold standard for sure. Um, that tends to hold up best over time. Um, there's a lot of reclaimed lumber of various species used around here that all of which works great. Good thing about that is it's stabilized with time. So you're going to see a lot less movement with those reclaimed lumbers. But as far as new goes, cedar and dug fir are definitely. Cedar and dug fir. Strong reasons to go with one as opposed to the other. Why go with cedar as opposed to dug fir? Six of one, half dozen of the other. Just aesthetics or availability or price? Yeah. And in the last couple of years, it's, it's largely been availability, it yeah. seems. Um, I have to be clear to say that I know how these function well as in so much as they interact with the coatings we apply. I am not a lumber expert or special. Okay. I like that. We haven't really done that yet on Crafted. Like tried to find the limits or asked people like where do the limits of their expertise kind of end? So I like that. Maybe that'll go into a, that'll kind of be a new thing I'll bring into these conversations. Fair. Fair. Here's our current situation. You and I are supposed to be at the Matchstick Productions premiere of their new film, their United States premiere of their new film. We're supposed to be there in 19 minutes. Okay. So I think what we're going to do here is sort of wrap this up in a bit so that we're not late and your lovely wife does not get mad, mostly at me for keeping you too long. But um, this is also fitting because we are heading to the Crested Butte Center for the Arts, which is a building that you and your team worked on. And it is kind of this... I don't know what to say, a flagship building, I think, in Crested Butte. Absolutely. And it's gorgeous. And every time I have some new visitor to Crested Butte, I am like pointing it out. And I'm always like, my buddy Rob and his team, they did this. Um, and it's just, I think it's gorgeous. Um, it's, a, it's a gorgeous interior, but it's a really, really unique and striking exterior as well. So given that that's where we're headed to go see a ski film premiere. I'd love to hear you just talk a little bit about that building, that project. Well, to be fair, the execution of that project, the credit goes way more to the general contractor, the architect, et cetera. We, we just, as, as we do, really all we can ever take credit for is, uh, is putting a bow on an already well-executed job. Um, there's a lot that comes before us that we, we can't paint a poorly executed project into excellence. That job was done very well by the architect, by the developer, Black Dragon Development local firm here. And even as I uh, would take credit for my involvement 
our guy, Tom Runcie mm. really executed that project. Mm. Um, mostly on his own Jack Wisey as well was in there. Um, those guys took that project from even my desktop and ran with it and, and brought that home. While that was a precise painting project, there's definitely more, much more to the, the, the good outcome there than, than just me. So for people who haven't seen the CB Center for the Arts, how would you describe, let's just talk, let's keep it to the exterior. What are they going to see? What would someone who actually knows these things talk about? That, that brings up uh, an overheard in the paper, um, in our local paper. We have this <laughs> section called the overheard where somebody said something funny and they wrote it down. But uh, they called it the local REI, uh, which is not fair. But uh, it's, it is wow. enormous in scale compared to any surrounding building. And, uh, and it, aesthetically, I think it's very tastefully executed. Super pretty. I think it blends well with its mountain backdrop. I think it. I think it's gorgeous. I think it's a centerpiece to our town, which is, let's face it, a series of buildings. It's not. It's not the mountain backdrop. We have a beautiful town aesthetic here, and I think that that really added to uh, kind of being a showpiece to the future of Crested Butte. It's got to be one of the coolest backdrops. In front of Crested Butte, <laughs> absolutely, it's it's insane. Like we could put that up, you know. I want to see like I don't know top fifty backdrops in the world. You know, I feel like for like a large scale like anything public building. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's, it's really gorgeous. striking. And that I guess it is. I think you told me that was like a specific or unique shade of blue that yep. is used, um, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. And that's certainly like in that spectrum of like, um, low maintenance versus aesthetic appeal. That's, uh, that definitely leans closer to aesthetic appeal, but I think that's a fight worth fighting because it is pretty. It's really pretty. Well, Hey man, um, I think we should go watch a ski movie premiere. I'm really, really thrilled that we finally got a conversation on tape I don't know that I even did it justice here, but maybe what we'll do is we will invite our listeners, if they have specific questions about sort of the art of finishing or best practices for homes in mountain towns, we will ask people, if you have any questions along these lines, best practices for mountain town homes, or just more things you're curious when we're talking about the finishes and finishing process in particular, let me know. You can email us right in to the site and then we'll have Rob back on and we can do another episode of Crafted dedicated to painting, but we'll also try to get the skiers talking shit stuff going too. Cause I have some thoughts about that. Yeah. I think, uh, I'd be happy to, uh, <laughs> help field any questions as to why you have to stay in your my second home in the mountains every three to five years. I'm so sorry to, to, <laughs> to tell you to, that, to tell you that. But, uh, but if you want to just more of the fun casual, then, uh, look for us with skiers talking shit. Jonathan's 19th podcast <laughs> soon to hit all of your podcast networks. <laughs> hey man, this has been really fun. I'm glad that we have finally, finally, you know, gotten our first conversation down on wax as it were. And so, Look forward to many more and many more off record as well. In addition to your friendship, very cool to have a friend where you're very proud and you find yourself bragging on the work they do and their team. Because you've already said that and it's worth reiterating. You've got some incredible people working with you for sure. But uh, it is something that I'm really proud of in this community and that you are employing so many diehard skiers and mountain bikers and outdoor fanatics in this community. I mean, these are all really cool things in addition to doing work at a high level. Yeah. And I think if, it, if there's anything I'm truly proud of, um, aside from the, the great paint job we can give your house, it's that we are able to keep people who belong in this community here. Mm -hmm. And that's really something I'm incredibly proud of. And I never thought I'd be enthused to be an employer, but that's really where I've landed in time is that whatever I can do to keep people making a decent living 
in this community where it can ebb and flow as to whether that's an easy thing to do. Yeah. I'm pretty proud that I can help with that. And Jonathan, I got to say, thanks for having me on. And I, uh, I am constantly complimenting your skills as well. <laughs> I should say my favorite thing, one of my favorite things about Rob is that, you know, I'm pretty busy. He's busy. And so if we've gone like a week or two without talking, I'll just get a cold call where <laughs> you'll be like, I'm currently driving to wherever, some job site, but I've been listening to you on different podcasts. And he's like, I just feel like it's finally time for me to get a word in edgewise. And uh, so sometimes I get those calls and I always take them. And uh, yeah, but I, uh, I yeah, like that. I might do it. I might do an hour or three of any number of the blister podcast networks <laughs> episodes. And I'm like, man, I've been listening to this guy talk to me for two hours straight. I got to call him up and talk back here. This is, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. Very, very, uh, very fair point. And uh, I always like those phone calls too. So anyway, cheers. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Let's go watch a ski movie premiere. Let's do it. All right, man. Well, that's it for this edition of Crafted. I want to say thanks to Rob for this conversation. And I would encourage you to go take a look at precisepaintingcb.com, especially the about page, because there you're going to get to hear Rob talk more about the principles and priorities of precise painting. You'll also get to check out a gallery of their work and Really, one of my favorite things is the testimonials where people are writing in, talking about the work that Rob and the team at Precise have done for them. It's just really nice seeing people say such extraordinary things about a good friend of yours. So you can check out all of that at PrecisePaintingCB.com. Now, of course, as always, I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. And if you are enjoying these crafted conversations, we would very much appreciate it if you would leave us a rating or review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and we're just going to keep these conversations coming. So that's it, folks. I hope you have a great week and we will be talking to you over on all of our other podcasts. So we'll catch you over on all of those. Bye, everybody.